special guest from Alternatives here that's going to share a little with us about the ministry. Um, I do want to say that um, these little bracelets, it's a free event on Saturday night at the um, Performing Arts Center in Escondido. It's the small venue, 400 seats. Um, And so these are kind of your tickets in. Can you turn me up a little bit here? We're getting requests for the audience. Is that better? Okay, so, so there's a request. Uh, these, you need these to get in. There's a baggie of them up here, so just grab one. This is your ticket into the, in, into the event. Um, I will share some about uh, Gianna Jessen and who she is and, and really why you should go. Um, today's sort of a different day. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. We're continuing our study through Luke. Um, it just happens. Literally, it coincides. The text coincides with um, this Sunday around the nation as a sanctity of human life. Some churches celebrate it last Sunday. Some ch- churches celebrate it this Sunday. I have kind of broken it up throughout the month. But the text today is going to focus on a very uh, difficult subject, um, one that is very painful for me to speak on. I uh, I have my pocket loaded with tissues, but I didn't need them last time. This, I, I speak a lot in front of groups. I normally don't get nervous. I, I, I can, I, I just kind of, you're just kind of one big blob and I view you as one person and I just kind of forget. This, however, I feel like a freshman in high school that has to address the whole school. I can barely sleep the night before. This is the fourth time I've preached on the subject. I have cold, clammy hands right now nervous. It's, uh, you guys could all be in agreement with me, but this subject comes a great personal pain. Um, this church is very involved in uh, protecting the sanctity of human life. At this stage in U.S. history, the aim is predominantly focused towards the, the unborn children. However, it spans all of humanity to a natural death. Those that are handicapped along the way that uh, history has had people like Hitler try to eradicate from the earth. We stand for life, and it's created by God. This church, um, we supported ministry, Alternatives Women's Center in in Escondido. It's located on Juniper and Grand. Second, I always mess it up, uh, but it's right there on the corner. It is a pro-life medical clinic. Everything is offered for free, free ultrasounds, Free pregnancy tests, I believe. Yeah, I'm, I sit on the board of directors. I should know these things. And this church, uh, we support this ministry on a monthly basis. It literally, I'm sorry, my other microphone is louder, so it's so. Hopefully, it's better up front here. Um, we support this ministry on a on a monthly basis, and part of this, our church, we do things to bless the staff and the board of directors, and sometimes it's done without us, you guys knowing about it. So what I want to let us, all you know, that our church bought a copy of this book for every single staff person and board of directors, and we gave it to them this week. Um, I did it on your behalf. Um, this book just came out. The, the girl in the book is Abigail, I mean, Abby Johnson, not Abby, Abigail Johnson from our church, but Abby Johnson. She was... A, uh, she ran, she was the executive director of a Planned Parenthood for eight years. In the fall of 2009, she was asked to do something which she never in her, her whole career had been asked to do. 
and that was to assist with the ultrasound to do a, an ultrasound guided abortion. And during this event, as she was holding the ultrasound, she told people for years that, that the, the fetus, the embryo, couldn't feel anything. And she watched a, a 12-week-old baby on ultrasound recoil trying to get away from the, the needle, the vacuum that the doctor was about to abort the baby, trying to flee for its life. And then she said, as the doctor got the needle in position, he gave the command, beam me up, Scotty. And she watched this baby get basically uh, murdered. And she basically dropped the thing, couldn't believe what she was involved in, couldn't believe all of the things that she'd been saying her whole life. And she basically walked away from the movement, and she just came out with this book on her experience. Um, she's facing all kind of lawsuits by Planned Parenthood. And... Uh, and, and so we are, um, we've given it to them. I, um, this church has blessed me with supporting me and being the board chaplain and the chaplain to the ministry. And I, I want to introduce Tammy to come up. Tammy and I both have uh, personal pain on the issue of abortion. Uh, we've experienced our own last year. She came and, and in the middle of the message, I essentially asked her to get up and to share her experience um, through her abortion and, and how it impacted her. This year, what I'm asking her to do is to kind of start out, I said, pretend like everybody in this room doesn't have a clue what Alternatives is and just share with them about this ministry. And so I'm going to start with prayer because it is a, I might fool you, but this is painful for me. Um, it, it's, it's hard. I'm nervous right now. I'm scared. And I know you guys are all my friends. Y'all love me, I think, you know. Um, so we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to, to help us through this day. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit that convicts. Lord, we thank you um, that you are a God that uh, redeems us, reconciles us, heals us, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, as we go through the Bible today, we would ask that you would help us to be faithful in uh, viewing this subject matter, that we would just allow the text to speak to us. Lord, we don't want any of our agendas, any of our past feelings out there. We pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to come with a blank slate and to allow you to speak to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, the ministry to alternatives. I thank you for Tammy and her stepping forward and sharing her personal painful experience. And so, Lord, we pray that as she speaks and she shares about this ministry, Lord, that you would be with her, that you comfort her, and that you give her ease. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all very much. Um, I wanted to share a little bit about the day in the life of what we do at Alternatives. First of all, our mission statement is to provide a medical environment that protects the right to life of the preborn. And our vision statement is to provide guidance and alternatives to women in North Inland County who are considering abortion. We have five full-time staff and four part-time staff. So we have, as far as uh, pro-life uh, medical facilities. We have a, a fairly large medical facility, and we also have 28 regular volunteers that come in to uh, either work with the girls, they do administrative work, they've been trained to be advisors. Each one of us, including that we also have six board members, they all sign a statement of faith, so we all know that we are on the same page. We're an outreach ministry of Jesus Christ and his church. Um, and we are committed in providing our patients with accurate information about prenatal care. Every morning we begin with prayer, and our prayer is for each member of the staff 
that we be filled with the Spirit and whoever we're speaking with, whether it's our colleagues or the girls that come in, and may the girls' hearts be open to hearing what it is we have to say and that they can know the truth from a world that they're not hearing the truth from. They're filled with lies. They're filled with fear, and they don't know what to do. And if we can be a friend to them in the journey of their life, whether they choose to abort their baby or not, which our prayer is they don't, but they are under free will, uh, we are also there for them afterwards if they choose because we do have post-abortion counseling. So many of the girls do come in for pregnancy tests. Our biggest demographic are 18 to 24. Many of the local high schools come in. We work with the local high schools. The uh, medical staff or the CalSAFE can call us, and we can get the girls in because, as you know, an abortion, a, a young girl can have an abortion without their parents knowing. And many of these girls greatest fear are their parents, are their family, which is is very scary. So our nurses do the pregnancy tests and either determine if the the young girl is pregnant or not, if she runs a negative test. We talk to her about abstinence. It's a great possibility that it won't happen again if she remains abstinent. And uh, they're deer in the headlights because that isn't what the world is teaching them out there. And uh, if they are positive, they can go on to an ultrasound. Uh, we do our ultrasounds after six weeks, so um, the women can see a viable pregnancy. Many times, uh, women who have abortions don't have a viable pr- pregnancy. 18 to 22% of first-time pregnancies are do end in a miscarriage. So there are senseless abortions being had, and then senseless pain for women that will never know the side of eternity if they aborted a baby or not. Um, the other thing that we do have is we run a Hannah's closet. So for the young girls that are coming in and are pregnant, we get them into prenatal care. We don't do prenatal care. We're an early pregnancy center. So we refer them out to doctors. But we try to get the girls along with a Bible study on their walk, sharing the gospel with them. And if they do come into the classes and take classes, even a class from learning about the gospel, but balancing a checkbook, learning how to breastfeed their baby, they don't know. They can come into these classes, and they receive mommy money. And from that, they can come once a month and buy clothes for their baby. And um, it's called Hannah's Closet. So it's an earn-while-you-learn program. So it's empowering these young girls because they they might not have anybody to help them train them and raise them up that way. So we care. our, our desire is to love the young girl as well as the baby. Uh, we want these young women to know that we're not placing judgment on them. They feel so judged as they're walking in, and we just want them to feel the difference. Uh, I'm just going to end with a couple stories. One of the stories uh, struck me recently. We had a family. We, we don't only see young, young girls. We see families. The economy's tough right now, and people are, are frantic. How am I going to afford another baby? and are considering abortion, people that have never considered it before because they don't know the truth, they're scared, they're frightened, or they do know the truth and they're scared. And a, a couple came in, and, and the husband was, was just knew he couldn't afford to ta- raise another child. Once he saw the ultrasound, he said, we'll make do. I'll get a third job. But it, it, somehow seeing the, the baby swimming there, it makes it reality. So we are blessed. We pray for our ultra, ultrasound machine every day that it works. Um, truly, truly, it's because spiritual warfare. There's things, the st- strangest things have happened there, but we know we're covered by 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank each one of you. I thank you for the books that Gunnar just announced to you that you gave to all of us. I know each one of the staff love them. They are, um, each one of the staff are right where they should be. It's amazing to see how God ordained each position and the gifts that are given to each one of these nurses, medical assistants, our financial director, our executive director, and I'm so blessed to be the COO now this year as well. So I thank you all, and if anyone would love to come down to the clinic for a tour, we would love to show you what we do, and you can see each one of the rooms and meet the um, advisors and the nurses, and we just want to thank you very much. Well, thank you, Tammy. I am, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to switch microphones so I can, my microphone is significantly louder, so here I go. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. I'm going to pray, and then we will we'll read the text, and we'll, we'll just begin working our way through this passage. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have, uh, Lord, that you've revealed your will to us. You've revealed your story to us. We thank you, Lord, that the word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, we pray that as we begin to read this text, Lord, we ask that your spirit would illuminate its meaning, that we would rightly understand the story. Father, we pray that as we study, Lord, that we would submit ourselves to you, that we would humble ourselves before you and open our hearts, Lord. May your spirit guide us, direct us. Lord, this message may be powerful for some, may be painful. And Lord, we pray that as the word cuts us, Lord, that we would allow you to heal us, Lord that we would receive forgiveness and healing and that we would walk with you in newness. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God of life. Lord, that you salvage that which is totally destroyed. Father, we thank you that we learned from the angel Gabriel last week that all things are possible for God. And so, Lord, we come here today expecting you to move. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby inside her womb, and Elizabeth leaped inside her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble estate of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. 
He has done mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. Amen. So as by as way of introduction, we're we're about 39 verses. No, we're exactly 39 verses into to Luke. We've been here. I think this is our fourth week. There are five weeks in January, so it makes it easy for me. Uh, the first four verses of Luke are the introduction to this book. It's the introduction to this book and Acts as well, which are kind of two parts. And in the beginning, Luke says, you know, the thing that happened amongst us, that the Messiah came, he was born, he lived his life, he went to the cross, he was executed, he died. Three days later, he rose again. He came and presented himself to many, many people for 40 days. And then he ascended into heaven. Ten days later, the Spirit came, baptized the church, and then his work continued through the early church. And he goes all the way through Acts. He said, what happened in our midst was a historical phenomenon. This, of all history, is right up there with the creation of the universe. And we knew that what happened in our midst was amazing. And all kind of people tried to write historical accounts. All kind of people tried to document. And he said, it seemed fitting for me as well. I researched, I investigated, I talked to eyewitnesses. And then I wrote out my account in consecutive order that you may know the exact truth to Theophilus. And so that sets the premise. We, we know that, that, that Luke didn't witness a lot of the early church. He doesn't come on scene until Acts. And midway through Acts on Paul's second missionary journey, he's a Gentile, came to faith. He ends up writing a quarter of the New Testament. And history tells us that as, um, well, I'm going to get there a second. So then after this, he starts with the announcement of John the Baptist. God hasn't spoken since Malachi 400 years before this event that's recorded in verse 5. Zacharias is in the temples doing his priestly duties. He, twice a year, he, the lot falls on him. It's the Super Bowl. Once in a lifetime experience, he gets to go into the temple, stand before the holiest of holies where the presence of God dwelt, where there was a veil that when Jesus on the cross, it was torn in two. His job was to go in there, drop some incense on the fire, a little poof of smoke, say a quick prayer, and then go back out. It was really insignificant. He was really, it wasn't that there was anything special about him. And as he's doing this, the angel Gabriel appears from behind the veil and says, you're going to have a son. God hasn't spoken in 400 years. The last thing he leaves us with in Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4 is that there will be a forerunner to, tell, to pave the way for the Messiah. That's your son. And your wife, who's advanced in years and is barren, is going to bear you the son, and you're going to name him John the Baptist, or John. 
And not John the Baptist, like a Baptist. John the Baptizer, he baptized. He was, there was not a denomination at the time. And I, so I don't, don't want to confuse anybody. Zacharias had been praying this prayer for, for probably decades. He said, I'm, I'm not in a mood for cruel jokes. I'm old. And he exercised wisdom because he said, my wife is advanced in years. He knew not to call his wife old. <laughs> Even though she couldn't go in there, she would find out what he said. And she knew better. And he said, and she's barren. And the angel said, you know, I'm at, I kind of have this picture of him kind of looking at his back. He's like, do you see my wings? I'm the angel Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And God has sent me to you to give you this message. And as a result of your lack of faith, you're not going to speak until eight days after the birth of your son when he's circumcised. And at that point, he goes and tells his wife, I suggested that two prayers were answered of hers, that she would have a son and her husband was silent for nine months. (laughs) Or others have suggested that. I don't know that that was the case. (laughs) Um, They go into seclusion for six months. Then totally different occasion, six months later, the angel Gabriel appears in Nazareth. Nazareth is a town, the closest we could come to understanding Nazareth is Buttonwillow, California. Again, how many people know where Buttonwillow, California is? There's about three of us last week. So there's still three of us this week. There's four, yeah. This was, this was a place that you would make a pit stop to fill up your camel so that you can continue your journey. There would be 50, 100, poor town, nothing there. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Talmud, the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Apocrypha, the historical books that were written during the silent 400 years. Yet the angel Gabriel appears to this poor young girl, 12, 13, 14 years old, dirt poor. The angel appears. So Mary... Blessed are you amongst women or something along those lines. She pondered these things. What in the world is he talking about? The angel says, you know, in Genesis 3.15, when there's the promise of the gospel that the Messiah will come and do away with evil, sin, Satan, it'll be done away with. And then in Isaiah 7.14, it says, then a child will be born from a virgin. 700 years before this event, and he looks at Mary and he says, Mary, that's you. And she says, what do you mean? I'm not married. I'm not, how is this possible? But it wasn't in lack of faith. And then in verse 35, the, an- the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be the Son of God. Mary, you don't need a man. God is going to provide the seed. And it's going to happen miraculously. And we look at the phrases of Luke. And if we go all the way to Acts 1.8, we think, how in the world can this happen? It's a miracle. Miracles don't happen every day. But we look at this phrase in Acts 1.8 and it says, but, you, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, same phrase, you will receive power and you will receive my, um, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Same miracle of regenerated life. That that we have the spirit of the living God in Christ within us. It's crazy. 
And then the angel tells her in verse 36, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Mary didn't know. Elizabeth is in isolation. Mary gets this news. My cousin, she's like 70, 80. She could never have kids. She's beyond the, the age of bearing children. She's six months along. And then verse 37, the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary responds in verse 38 and says, you know what? I'm your bondservant. Whatever the Lord wants. She would be called all kind of names. Nobody, nobody, not even Joseph believed this story. Last week I asked the question, how many fathers of daughters would believe their, their 12, 13, 14-year-old daughter? They show up and they said, you know what, Dad, I'm pregnant. Don't worry. It's God. As we load our shotgun and go looking for whatever's happening, she would be called despicable Demeaning names for her whole life. Jesus would be called names that he was this, this, you know, I'm trying to think of the non bad way to say it. Illegitimate child. I can say that from up here. They would ridicule him. Joseph could divorce her. He could, in Old Testament law, he could stone her to death. And she said, Lord, if this is your will, so be it. I'll go. And then this is where we pick up our story. And we are told in verse 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to his city of Judah. And entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So we read this. We don't know how much time, but we're told in a a hurry. Not yet, Dave. It's it's coming in a while. Um, She immediately hurries. She needs to go see her cousin. She was just told that my parents, she's six months along. I've got to check this out. And for us, we look at this and we go, well, is this like going from Valley Center to Escondido? Is this like in the afternoon she heads over there? What is this? And she has to go. God is doing an amazing thing in her life. I was just told by an angel that the Messiah is going to come to me through my womb. And my cousin's pregnant with the forerunner, John the Baptist. And so can we see the map here? Um, The next slide here. Now, to put this into perspective, okay, Jerusalem's down here. 80 miles is the way the crow flies. We have a little town called Nazareth. Buttonwillow, as I like to call it. Nothing. We don't know the city in the, in the, the hill country of Judah, but the location that she's going to go is down here. Straight line, 80 to 100 miles, they projected. Likely, she didn't walk straight because this is Samaria, And the Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. So she probably cut to the coast or cut inland, walked down, and wherever her cousin was located, that's where she went. You can turn the lights back on and you can go to the verses. This would have been a three-day journey by foot walking. This is a 12, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old, if we want to get, you know, crazy on the age. She understands what God has done. She says, something's happening here. I'm going to be obedient. I need the fellowship to see that something, this radical is happening. She walks three days to meet her. And on this point, I would suggest that Christian life is about community. I hear people all the time. I'm a Christian, 
But that's between me and God. It's between me and God. No, lone rangers are dead rangers. We need support. We need encouragement. We do stuff like the Super Bowl, not for the sake of just watching the football game, although you might be, you might question that when you see me, you know. I'm a little competitive. I like, I like, I latch on easy and go for rooting for people. Mexico house building, going down there, great fellowship and serving, uh, work days, new members class. This isn't, if you're just interested in learning more about the church, come on out. It's a time to get together. Alberto has been at this church for like 20 years through thick and thin. He comes to every new members class. It's like, dude, are you here for the free pizza? No, brother, I want the fellowship. He wants that people to get to know the people of the church and, and, and it's important. Go to the Bible studies, get involved. It doesn't have to be church sanctioned. You can simply go up to somebody that you don't know and say, Hey, you want to go grab lunch together? I'd like to get to know you more. And through this time of fellowship, I think that, you know, I keep it simple, stupid. KISS is my acronym that I learned in the Navy. I've been told I should make it more Christian. Keep it simple, silly or something. But special, saints, just doesn't work for me. Three things I keep in mind. Teaching the word of God. This is probably the most important thing because if we get the word, it's going to transform our lives. It's going to change us. Service. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it's not, this is my Bible memory. I, it says something along the lines of, you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest no man should boast. Verse 10, not many people know. For you're his workmanship, created for good works. So we, we, we serve, we help, we do things, not for salvation, but in response, in adoration, worship. And so as we step out, we serve, we build relationships. And you know what? Life, I've heard it said that you're either going into a storm, in the midst of a storm, or coming out of a storm. And having fellowship, being in relationship, being in community with people who have the same worldview that think through a biblical lens, when the bottom drops out, it's so nice to have people say, let me pray for you, brother. Let me help you through this. And as Christians, when we come here, you know, we ask, well, how are you doing today? Just lay it on them. Don't just say good. Say, oh, man, I'm so blessed because of this. Or, oh, I'm going through a really hard time right now. It's really difficult. Let, it, let us help you. So we enter the scene, moving on to our next point. This is where it gets difficult for me. Oh, no, it doesn't get difficult yet. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I get a little worried because we're like, oh, oh. It's, like, it's like, it all knows. Oh, I got to go to the bathroom real quick, guys. You know, I gotta, is there any way out of here, you know? Um, verse uh, 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're also told when, when Gabriel announced to Zacharias, the angel tells him that the baby would be filled with the Spirit also. So mom and baby both filled with the Spirit and she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord will come to me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Okay, I want to introduce us to four people in the story. There's Elizabeth, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 130, 200, so I can safely call her old. She's an elderly, she's advanced in years. Barren, never able to have a child. She's six months along now. Six months along, I've learned you'd never, ever ask a woman, how far along are you? I don't care if they're in labor. You don't say it all. But, but around six months, that's like when it looks like they're trying to smuggle a bowling ball. It's like, you know, they're walking around. And she, remember, she's always wanted a kid. She couldn't. So she's, she's an advanced in years. And I guarantee you she's walking around holding her baby. Oh, baby boy's here. I can feel him kicking now. He's moving. And then all of a sudden, Mary comes and whoop, he leaps in. Now here's Mary. She comes in 12, 13, 14, young girl. We don't know how far along, but weeks. She, th- this is the girl we've all seen. You can't even tell she's pregnant. But she's walking like this. It's like, man, your stomach is flatter than mine. Because I can, you know, I can walk around. That's kind of embarrassing. I'm up here. You know. But she's like holding. I bet she walked the 80 miles just holding her little belly, you know. She shows up. Then there's John, six months. By today's calculation, he'd be 28 weeks. Dave, you're just about up so we can kill the lights. Told him I'd give him warning. So, and then Jesus is weeks. We don't know if it's days from conception. We don't know if it's a week from conception. We don't know if it's three weeks. This was a long journey. Who knows? But I'm going to introduce us. We can kill the lights, all of them. Yep. Okay, now I want to introduce us to, to John the Baptist and Jesus. Next slide. It's not really them. This is my rendering of them. On the right is John the Baptist. This is a 3D uh, image of a 28-week-year-old, 28-week baby. This is where uh, John the Baptist is in this story. He's in the womb. He's kicking, scratching, ready to get out and find the world. Um, Ready to start eating locusts and honeys and calling everybody out on his sin. He is ready to go. He would grow a lot more hair from this picture. Over here, we have a three-week-old picture of a, of a baby in the womb at three weeks. So Jesus is around this stage of development. We've all seen the, we've all seen the with Christmas. We can go back to the, the verses. And, well, maybe I'll leave it up here for now. But in a second, we'll. Christmas. We celebrate the coming of... Of the Messiah baby that was just born. I submit to you that this was the incarnation of Christ. This is Jesus existed in eternity past. When he came and took on bodily form. That's his coming. That's his God and man in the flesh conception. Luke the physician introduces Jesus to us here. John the Baptist leapt in his womb because he's the forerunner and he's saying, here is the Messiah. Okay, lights on. And then we can go to the the Bible verses slide. So when we look at this story, we we look at she, 
Luke refers to baby twice in verse 41 and 44, referring to John the Baptist, that he leapt in the womb. Jesus is referred to as fruit. He's the fruit in the womb. She's the mother of the Lord. He's there. Who knows? One day from conception to three weeks to a month. Well, John the Baptist we know is six months. And Jesus is six months behind. So I don't think any older than three weeks. This might be a little liberal in his age. He would be younger than that three-week picture. John the Baptist leaps in the womb. And so when we start looking at baby, how does the Bible use the word baby? And when you start looking at understanding words in the original language, what you'll do is you'll start with, how does this author use the word baby? And so Luke uses this word, brephos, brephos. I'm not Greek, but it's brephos is the, is the word for baby. We see it in verse 41 and 44 of the first chapter dealing with John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 2, we see it in verse 12 and 16. The first one is when the, uh, the, they get told a star, the, the, um, what do you call them? The, not the, the magi. Now I was thinking magicians, but you know, the dudes that walk down and see the baby. When they're told to go down there, the word baby's used. And they said, you'll find a baby talking about the born Lord Jesus. Second time is used when they go there, they see the baby wrapped. It's this word. The next time Luke uses this word baby is in Luke 18, verse 15. And we're told there, it says, and when they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. So there's Jesus teaching his disciples. They ultimately get rebuked by Jesus for doing this. Moms are bringing their babies to Jesus. Could be toddlers. It could be little kids walking around that this word is used for. Not too high. I kind of picture as high as Elizabeth. Elizabeth is at the age where she's like walking like this. She'll do her turns and, you know, fall every now and again. So I picture all of these. That same word for the baby that's in the womb is used for up to toddlers. The last place Luke uses it is in Acts chapter 7, verse 19. This is Stephen, the first to be killed for his faith following Christ, is standing before his brethren. He's giving them a sermon saying that you guys are no different than any of the other prophets. They all, all of the Jewish people killed the prophets that came and proclaimed. You guys are no different. Why are we surprised? He starts with Moses. And in verse um, 19, he says, it was he talking about the Pharaoh who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants. That's the word. And they would not survive. Last place Luke talks about is talking about Pharaoh trying to kill the babies. Moses was put in a little basket, sent down the river, rescued, ultimately gets raised kind of by his mom. And so on this story, when I look at this text, what does the Bible say about babies? The first thing that we learn is the Bible sees no difference between a child in the womb and a child out of the womb. Same baby. Jesus is weeks old in this story. That's the incarnation. John leaps in his womb. Jesus came, took on the form of man, and it was weeks from conception. I would submit to you conception. This month is Sanctity of Human Life. 
I normally preach on this subject just because it's it, it, I, I, the Lord has forced me to do it. I do not do this by choice. I, at this point, it has come. <laughs> this is where I want to get out of here. This is where I have my Kleenex on guard. My bladder is telling me, you got to go to the bathroom. Fight or flight is taking over. This is the fourth sanctity of human life that I've preached on the subject. It doesn't get easier. I believe that I have an obligation to speak on this subject, not because I want to. I believe naturally it falls from the text in light of our world situation. Last night as I'm trying to sleep, tossing and turning from midnight till whenever, trying to find out, you know, the rapture, that could happen. You know, maybe <laughs> take me out of this. My main purpose in this is I want to affect our worldview. What do we think about this issue? I want us to be able to say this is what the Bible says about life. I want to lay aside all of my thoughts. I have all kind of reasons not to want to come to this conclusion. In 2007, I began a doctoral program. My emphasis was in church planting. That's how I ended up here, this church. There were 14 people. Alberto and Irma were the youth group. To restart it, to be a church planter, to to bring this church alive in the the community. I had no idea what the Lord was going to do through this program. In May, Cinco de Mayo of 2007, God began to, man, dig stuff up. And... uh, this church was looking at me to come and, and God was just beginning to like do things in me that I wanted to resist and resist and resist. And on May 5th of 2007, I had to confess something I hadn't confessed to anybody ever. Ever. It's a lot harder with my wife here this time. Last time I got through without tears. I had to tell her that I had had an abortion when I was 19 years old. And at that moment, I was so relieved. And at that moment, she had the world and the weight of my sin just blindside her. And it took months of like working through this. Going to a new church. Am I going to, am I going to address this issue? Am I going to, you know, she's like, well, I was always like, I would be picketing Planned Parenthoods. But now, how do we deal with this? Is it worth my pride to get into this fight or do I silence this? I'm so thankful for her. She said, it's not about me. It's about these kids. And God wasn't done with me because I wasn't convinced yet, you know. And in the summer, you know, June, July, I go to this seminar, orientation to doctoral studies. They have the head guy from the bioethics reform talking about abortion. I'm like, Lord, you know. There are times when you just, you just like, why are you doing this to me? 
And they were going to show a video, and I said, I'm not going to watch. I said, I am a combat veteran. I have post-traumatic stress. I'm getting out. And so I walked out. There was a group of us. Walk out, walk back in. And it was like, whoa, what did they do? God was relentless on me in saying, you need to speak on this. And from July, by July to January of 2008, God had thrust me into this arena to speak on this. Since January of 2008, I've spoken on the subject ever since. My dissertation is now focused on the subject. And it's important. This part will hurt some of us. It hurts me to speak on it. Let it hurt. It's okay. God has healing. I mean, it, he will forgive, redeem. Um, I want to say that this is not a political church. This is not politically driven at all. I stand on the word. The word is my guide. I don't care about politics. They're important, but I don't like to me when I look at political stuff, I don't like certain stuff. Like I don't like taxes. None of us like paying taxes. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. But all I see in scripture is render unto Caesar. (laughs) So it's like, but on this, this is the Bible says it's life. And so we have to do something. Yesterday, January 22nd, 2011, was the 38th anniversary of Roe v. Wade when our Supreme Court ruled that a, a female should be able to have an abortion. Since then, 50 plus million abortions have happened in the United States. It's hard to track down a number of how many abortions have actually happened because of uh, HIPAA laws. That's, they don't, nobody has to report abortions. We get our statistics from the Gluten, Gutebaker, Gutmacher. Gutmacher, uh, this is not me stacking the, de- the deck to say, oh, listen, this is what our Christian researchers said. The Gutmacher is the research arm of Planned Parenthood. So they're the ones who are giving the statistics. 50, plus, 50 million plus children have been aborted in the United States since the ruling. To try to break it down in the bite-sized piece, that means about 1.5 million children on average have been aborted per year for the last 38 years. That's still such a number that how do you swallow this? I want to put this into a way that we can understand. I think it was January 13th of 2010, the earthquake struck Haiti. Horrible natural disaster. According to Wikipedia, the source of all information, the conservative number of people that died in Haiti was 92,000 people during the earthquake. I don't think that accounts for, you know, if people die today, that's a result. 92,000 people. It was horrific. We all saw the images. Since January 22nd of 1973, bless you, on average... That many people have been aborted every 22 days since then. Let that sink in. Every 22 days for the last 38 years, 92,000 people have been aborted. Put it this way. How many of us are still having a hard time saying 2011? I'm still saying 2010. We are 23 days into this year. Yesterday on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, There have been 22 days in this year. So far this year, we've aborted 
on average, the same amount of people that were killed in Haiti to the earthquake. It's huge. Does the Bible speak about abortion? Does the Bible tell us anything about this? Well, I'm glad you asked. It does. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 25, it's listed up here. I'm going to read it. You can back me up if you, if you don't trust me. But what it says in Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25, it says, If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judge, judges decide. So Larry and I are having a fight. We would never do that. We're wrestling around. We're fighting. We're fisticuff. We're angry at each other. There's a pregnant lady over here. One or both of us bump into her, causes her to go into labor and have the baby. Neither one of them are hurt. The Bible says that we could be fined however her husband Whatever he wants, that's what will be fined. But I love the wisdom of the scripture. It says, but we shall pay whatever the judges say we're obligated to pay. So the husband could find us with whatever. And the judges said, oh, we know that you really, like, that you're so angry that he did this to your wife and caused you this great pain and you want this. But this is the fair fine. It goes on to say, but if there is any further injury, you shall appoint As a penalty, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. This passage equates the accidental killing of a baby in the womb as manslaughter. Our laws have it partially right. This is the law of the land. There is a law that says the the fetal homicide law. Scott Peterson's currently serving time up in prison on death row for the murder of his pre-born child and his wife. Currently, there's a, a lawsuit on the East Coast, reading about it last week, an abortionist, 20 years, been doing horrific things, even by the law of pro-choice people. After 20 years, was finally arrested last week He's being charged with nine counts of murder and is, or eight counts of murder. I'm not, and a number of his staff and wife are being implicated in this. In the article, you get down to the bottom and they ask, why did it take so long for them to press charges? And the state said, this issue is so political in nature that if we intervene, there's problems. There's problems. They recognize that we have schizophrenic laws because our law says it's manslaughter if a man or a woman takes the life of a child in the womb, except if the mother of that child in the womb deems that it's an inconvenience or will cause her any stress for any reason or without reason, she can abort that child up to and including the natural delivery of the baby. This point has caused me some heartburn because if this is truly what 
God thinks about this issue, my hands have blood on them. Manslaughter. In a room this size, a church our size, Gutenbacher, Gutenbacher, that guy, that organization, says out of evangelical Christians from Planned Parenthood, all girls up to the age of 45, statistically speaking, it's one in three in the church. Statistically speaking, I'm not alone in this room. And for every woman that's connected to an abortion, there's a man. Sometimes there's accomplices. I know people that have gave a girlfriend a ride to the abortionist, for years has guilt over this, gave some money to help her pay for it. And when I came to that conclusion of like, oh man, 2007, recognizing what I'd done or my participation, what now? I like what Mark Driscoll says on this on this point. He says, and you murderous mothers and you complicit fathers and you godless evildoers. Those who worship death, those who murder babies, those who sacrifice children. Jesus would say this to you. I shall pay. My life for your life. My hand for your hand. My foot for your foot. My wound for your wound. Stripe for stripe. That's Jesus. When Exodus says that baby murderers shall be punished, Jesus said, I'll take their place. Hand for hand, nail-scarred hand for nail-scarred hand, foot for foot, nail-scarred foot for nail-scarred foot, stripe for stripe, across his back. His life for my life. His life for your life. That's Jesus. Some of you would sit here and argue and say, how dare God judge me? How great that God would die for you. The God who judges you is the God who dies for you. The God who judges you is the God who forgives you. The God who judges you wants you to know that even if you've not had a murder, you have the blood on your hands, that we're all murderers, that Jesus died for our sin, that we murdered God, that any of you who would even hear this and feel self-righteous saying, I've done some bad things, at least I've not killed a baby, you've killed God. We've all come with bloody hands and Jesus dies for us. He raises us, rises for us. He loves us. He forgives us. He embraces us and pursues us for friendship. Amen? That's awesome. See, what we need to understand, Christians, is once God forgives us, it's okay to forgive yourself. It's okay to forgive yourself. Press on. One of the best ways to understand the Bible, I am... I'm working on my third Bible degree. And you're going to fall off your seat when I tell you the best way to learn your Bible. Last night, reading the Bible to Grace. Buy a kid's Bible with pictures and print. Read it. You can do the Bible that way in like three months. Don't have to beat yourself up because we're also 23 days into it. There's probably a bunch of people who have already fallen off the, the Bible reading track. 
Last night, I'm reading the Bible to Grace in her kid's Bible. And we came to Luke 18, verse 9. And I want you to go over there. And for those of us that carry this pain, I love this section from Jesus. In Luke 18, verse 9, the disciples began questioning him as, as to what this parable meant. And he said, wait, I'm in verse, chapter 8. I'm like way off. Luke 18, verse 9. And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. So at the temple, this huge public place, there's two guys. One's a Pharisee, very religious guy. The other's a sinner, a tax collector, bad, bad man. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What does he say? I, I tithe. I lost my place here. I, I'm not, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was not even willing to lift his eyes to heaven. His sin was so heavy upon him that he didn't even want to look up towards heaven. But he was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. See, we say, Jesus is the only way. That's not fair. What if I want to believe this? We don't want fair with God. Fair is we've sinned. God is holy Cannot commingle. Fair is eternity in hell paying the penalty for our sin. That's fair. This tax collector, not wanting to look up, beating his chest for over his sin. Lord, be merciful. Merciful means, Lord, I know what I deserve. Please don't give me fair. Give me mercy. And I loved when we went through the Psalms. His mercy is everlasting. Be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this sinner shows, ah, that's what God wants. And so I suggest to you that the first thing the church is supposed to do and we as Christians, reconciliation, redemption, forgiveness. Jesus paid it all. As sinners in Christ, when God sees us, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the perfect life of Christ that has been imputed to you, that you get credit, substitutionary atonement, that when he was on the cross, we should have been there. He went there in our place. And now in Christ, that's what the Father sees. Our sin has been separated as far as the east and as far as the west. Don't be like me and say, well, eventually it connects on the other side of the earth. We're talking straight out eternity. I'm a person that can't forgive myself. For, forgive yourself. God forgave yourself. He wants to use you. And I love Tammy's story. I gave her, she gave me, I gave her permission to let me use her story. I, uh, <laughs> but she got up here last year and she said, you know what? I had my abortion. And I was in the church. 
Satan had told me that God can never use you. She had disqualified herself for ministry till somebody came and told her, you're a precious child of God. He can use you. And it was like this weight was lifted off of her. And that's why she has such a heart for this post-abortive ministry. Because we as a church need to preach reconciliation, that God loves you, he's forgiven you, he's, he's paid the way. The sin was paid for in Christ. Now, what does the Bible say? I've really got to hurry here, and we're going to speed things along. What does the Bible say to the church? Are we supposed to do anything? Are we supposed to actively engage this subject? In Proverbs 24, verses 11 through 12, I'm just going to read it here. It says, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to the slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? So here, essentially, John Piper says this. The duty of verse 11 could be stated like this. If a group of humans is being taken away to death who ought not to be taken away to death, the people who fear God ought to try and rescue them. Or to use the words of the second half of the verse, if there's a group of humans who are stumbly, literally slipping to the slaughter, who ought not to be slipping to the slaughter, the people who fear God ought to try to hold them back from the slaughter. What is being commanded here is some kind of intervention from us when we are aware of humans being killed who ought not be killed. We have an obligation to intervene for these lives that are being executed. What can we do? Pray. First and foremost, pray. This is serious. My heart broke yesterday hearing the President of the United States, who we are to submit to, to surrender. He's the authority that's been placed over us. He's wrong. He's absolutely wrong. President of the United States, to his own children during when he was running, said, I would not want to punish them with a pregnancy. Abortion needs to remain. Every woman has the right to have abortion to protect her. We need to protect this right. And on fr- Saturday night, I encourage you, come get a bracelet. Go down there. What I love about Gianna Jensen, she was aborted. She survived. She, with a smile on her face, is so tickled that her